Welcome to the Get the Knack podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Knack, coming to you from the uh, Get the Knack podcast studio in Ocean Shores, Washington. And I'm joined all the way from snowy Boston, Massachusetts, my good friend, my old Navy buddy. He writes for popmatters.com. Hopefully he's not snowed in. Please welcome back to the program, Chris Ingalls. Hey, Jerry. How's it going? Doing very, very well. How about you? Pretty good. Um, not really snowed in so much. We had a we had a nasty storm last weekend that that but was reminiscent of our time in Iceland. It was mm. one of those sort of yeah, it was like blowing all over the place. It was just like a bunch of snowdrifts and all that, you know. Um, you remember that? Oh yeah. And uh, uh, um, today was different. It was it was freezing rain, so mm. we didn't really get a lot of accumulations. But it's it's just like super icy outside. And I've never I don't remember the last time that uh, that schools were closed for ice. But that's exactly what happened. My son didn't go to school today because it was just too dangerous to drive. So um, yeah. I saw so that. It, it looks like the uh, the band formerly known as the COVID boys is getting ready to, to put out a new album. That was a great album cover photo you posted. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was not too, it was last night. It was not too long after he, we got the word that school was going to be closed. So he was like thrilled. And, uh, we had just, I think he was just playing some, uh, PS4 and, uh, was getting ready to, uh, to hit the sack. But yeah, it was, it was, um, he had a, he had a good, a nice day off today. I unfortunately did not, I was working, but, but working, <laughs> working at from home, although we're going back to the office three days a week, starting on Monday. So that should be interesting. Yeah. Um, we'll have so. to talk about that next time. See how that, uh, see how that goes for you. Yeah, So absolutely. As always, it seems like, um, an ocean of events happen in between our monthly conversations. Right. So, yep. and I've kind of been avoiding this the last couple of weeks and, and we might as well just, you know, address the gorilla in the room um, and talk about this. I, I really didn't want to dive too deep into it because I don't want this person's, you know, fan base coming after me for, you know, talking shit about him. But, you know, Joe Rogan has what well, he's got to be the most popular podcast on the planet. Right. Or if yeah, it's not, I it's close. So. Well, and he's certainly the highest paid one. Fair. And, yeah. you know, for the few people listening who don't know who Joe Rogan is, stand up comedian, former host of Fear Factor, uh, now has this this uber popular podcast on Spotify and and he gets paid extremely well to host it. Well, you know, he straddles the line between, um, you know, lunacy and not lunacy way too often and when it comes to covid stuff he is akin to putting the uh the strip mall doctors on who were downplaying covid in the very beginning uh you know trotting out these these people got their their online degrees uh you know from you know uh miskatonic university which is fictional by the way um and Mm -hmm. uh you know now a bunch of influential uh artists uh, threaten to pull their music from Spotify or ask Spotify to uh, take their music off uh, unless something is done about Joe Rogan and his uh, misinformation. And uh, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, and uh, several others. And uh, there's a lot of funny memes going on around uh, about it. But mm-hmm. I, it just really bugs me that, you know, two years into this, that we still have all this misinformation out there. And while YouTube and Twitter and a bunch of other platforms are pulling people or banning people, mm-hmm this guy still has a platform to spread misin- misinformation. I'm on the Neil Young side. I'm on the Joni sure. Mitchell side. And mm-hmm. um, even though the show's on Spotify, I decided to leave it. And I might sound like a hypocrite, but 
because they finally did come out with a warning that mm-hmm. says, and not, you know, the guy, the, the head of Spotify came out and, and announced it. Uh, they're putting up uh, a warning that's probably going to be about as effective as Alan Tipper Gore's, um, you know, lyrics warning on CDs in the 80s right. and 90s, right? right? So yes. I know you're a big Spotify fan. I, I'm off my soapbox with it. I just think it's terrible yeah. that we still have this, but I just want, I wanted to get your thoughts and your opinion on it. Well, first of all, I think that um, it, it's difficult. The thing about Spotify is that, um, first of all, I am a user sort of like, um, I'm, I'm sort of a, uh, re- I must say reluctant user. Um, although I, I've been, you know, rethinking that lately in light of what, a lot of the stuff that's happened lately. I think that Spotify is an extremely convenient platform. It's very easy to use. The, sol- the, the selection of music is just like unbelievable. And so it's easy for me to just open up the app and just go to town on it. Um, I think that, I think that the fact that they're standing by Joe Rogan is pretty, pretty awful. But I, th- I think one thing that a lot of people were talking about with Spotify, and this is this is almost like predates Rogan's uh, podcast, is that the problem with Spotify isn't necessarily just that they are giving Joe Rogan a platform. Um, the main issue with Spotify that a lot of people can't stand is the fact that they pay artists like very very little. These mm. the, the 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 it's it's like less than a penny per stream. I mean it's I mean a lot of these platforms are are they don't pay them very well to begin with, but Spotify is particularly bad about that. So I think that if, if this is, you know, if what Neil Young is doing and what Joni Mitchell is doing, if it, if it does anything in terms of like, um, putting spot, uh, a spotlight on Spotify and just, just saying these people do bad things. And it's not just Joe Rogan. It's not just the misinformation. It's the fact that, you know, the, 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 the CEO of Spotify is a billionaire and he doesn't create anything. All he does is just, you know, um, gobble up all of this music and pays the artists very unfairly. So I think that we need to look at that part of it too, in addition to what they're doing with Rogan. And, you know, you're right about the fact that putting a warning label, it's not, you know, that doesn't do anything. He still has a platform. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that I, Spotify is going to lose a lot of uh, necessarily lose a lot of listeners with people like Neil and Joni dropping it. But I think that they're made, they're taking a stand and they're just making a statement. They're, they're just saying it's, it's, it's Joe Rogan or it's me. And um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how this plays out. I don't know if a lot of other artists are going to follow suit. Um, but in the end, I don't know if it's necessarily going to tear down Spotify. Hopefully it will make them rethink a lot of things. Um, you know, they pay Joe Rogan a hundred million dollars. So I just, I don't know how they can back out of that. You know what right, I mean? It's right. almost like the damage is done and, and they, they, they really sort of, you know, put their money with their, where their mouth is what by saying, you know, we're going to pay this guy this much money. Um, and I think people already had a severe distrust of Rogan before that. So it's kind of like, well, why do they do that? Well, they did that for, for the money. They did that for the, for the, for the listeners. It was total greed on everybody's part but uh yeah i mean that's that's you know spotify has a lot of problems and this is just one of them and that's unfortunate too you know yeah i I used to i used to know people who used to ridicule me for not listening to howard stern and Uh i was never a fan and it took a long 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 time for me to understand his impact on culture and especially on radio and and when you you look at his career First of all, you got to take all the, the the smut and throw it out the window and realize what a brilliant interviewer the guy is. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's a, and he's a very smart guy too. He's 100%. very engaging and he's very intelligent. But he's he's yeah he's he's sort of like he knows like what brings in the listeners. You know right. what I mean? In, in that sense. I mean, and when when he you know as he was building up his name and his audience and everything else around the time he got the the big satellite deal, you know, was that was the time when he's interviewing strippers. And right. and I'm sorry, but listening to a stripper on the radio does absolutely freaking nothing for. I mean, you know what I mean? I don't yeah. I don't understand the attraction, right? He's so, and you got poor Robin Quivers, who's who's his foil the the whole time, and then you know mm-hmm. he introduces us to idiot characters like Baba Booey and all these you know mm-hmm. Stuttering mm-hmm. John and all that. See, I I did listen. Um, and yeah, there I, you go. I know I, I know way too much about it. Um, but you know when you when you watch it, the the movie about his life you you watch interviews with him now and you understand where he is um mm-hmm. as a as a human being the guy's on yep. the right side of everything right my oh yeah yeah my biggest complaint about him now is he he gave Donald Trump a platform he gave Donald Trump a platform and and he right now is is like one of Donald Trump's one of the the you know he hates him and he's like oh. I can't believe this guy was president and all yep. stuff but it's almost kind of like well where were you 10 years ago? Where mm-hmm. were you six, seven years ago or whatever? So it's kind of, that's a difficult, you know, thing to defend. Uh, but like I said, I think, I think he's, he's an interesting guy. I've, I've listened to interviews with him, like people interview him, you know, and, and he's, he's a smart guy and he's in, he's into like transcendental meditation and, and all this other interesting that you wouldn't picture somebody like him because he had this sort of veneer in the nineties of being just this, like this, a shock jock. I mean, that's kind of, mm-hmm. they, they basically, he basically, I think helped coin the term probably. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that, um, being on the right side of things is one thing, but it's just like, you know, you got to put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. And I think at least now it sounds like Stern is doing that. I mean, you mentioned shock jocks and, you know, we've talked a lot about radio on this program and I had my friend Doug Anderson on, who's a disc jockey in Kansas city. And we talk a lot about, uh, radio and, and, you know, what's become of it. And, you know, Stern left terrestrial radio to go to satellite at a time when satellite was, was struggling. Right. I mean, Sirius yeah. XM, uh, were two separate entities and they merged and, you know, they were trying to get, you know, uh, a foothold with subscribers and Stern gave that to them. Right. And now yeah. it seems like in the podcast world, you know, it's Joe Rogan and, you know, there's, I know there's a ton of other popular podcasts out there, but this is the one that seems to be the one everybody talks about. But, um, the thing about all of this is, is being on the right side of, of public health and safety. And that's the part that, that kind of chaps my ass with this is we've been in this pandemic for two years. We've gotten to the point where nobody's going back to lockdown status. Right. So, right. We need credible information on how to deal with the variants and all this other stuff, where to get tested, sure. where to get vaccinated, all this other stuff. Parents are still fighting with school districts. People are are getting into fistfights over dumb shit. And it's just driving mm-hmm. me driving me nuts. It's like we're still in the get tested, get vaccinated, wear a mask. I don't care what your local mandate is. I don't care what your local government policy is. Those are things that not only keep you safe, it keeps the person next to you safe. These are the facts. Right. Right. right? It's not, a, yeah, it's not about yourself. It's about the people around you too. Right. And you know, you could, you could come in contact with somebody who's uh, immunocompromised or, or sure. has underlying health issues. You know, I yep. love the argument. Oh, not, not, you know, 
890,000 people didn't die straight from COVID. They had diabetes and this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, well, if they didn't catch COVID, they'd still be alive. Anyway. Right, exactly. Anyway, yeah. I want to talk about happier topics like beer. I'm drinking a, a, a Cavatica <laughs> Stout from uh, Fort George, Oregon tonight, and it is 8.8% uh, alcohol by volume, but I'm also polishing off uh, a bottle of Glenlivet 14 tonight. So I don't know what you're drinking. Um, I am drinking a Voodoo Ranger Imperial IPA uh, from New Belgium Brewing in Fort Collins, Colorado. Mm -hmm. it's, a rare, it's a rare case of me not drinking a local beer because I'm usually into local beer. Um, this this was a, from a six-pack that was gifted to me by someone who's whose uh, dog I was walking when she was out of town a few weeks ago. So, and this has been sitting in my fridge for a while. Cause as you know, I was, I was off beer for the month of January. Mm -hmm. I, I, I did, I did sort of a half-ass dry January. <laughs> it was just, it was, it was just no beer. And, and, and to be honest with you, it was very helpful because um, I, you know, I was just sticking to mixed drinks and I don't do that it that much because it's so much easier to just crack open a beer you sure. know what i mean so i'm not i you know when it comes to like mixing drinks it's like oh god i gotta like get dishes i gotta like wash stuff and rinse things out and i don't <laughs> have time for that so so i didn't i didn't do it as lazy much. ass and so exactly i mean that's where laziness was a virtue um but um and yeah so anyway so i've had this sitting uh sitting in the basement for a few weeks and i'm cracking them open now and uh yeah it's uh it's not bad. 9%. But if you're going to go outside of Massachusetts, you know, Voodoo Ranger is a pretty damn good choice. Yeah, it is. Good. It's good. It's good stuff. I'm, yeah. I'm, I've, and I've had it before, uh, but it's been a while. And like I said, I, I um, try to stick to a lot of the there's a lot of good uh, breweries in Massachusetts, a lot of good ones in like like Maine and Vermont and, and places like that. So I try to stick to that. But this is good. This is good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased. The problem we have here is you can't get them in pint cans. I, you mm. know, I'm drinking something out of a pint can tonight, which is rare. Most of the stuff around here is all 12 ounce, which is really weird considering that the Pacific Northwest is is one of the hubs of craft beer in North America. And yeah. and I don't quite understand the, the size restrictions around here. But, you know, if I got to drink more than one, <laughs> you, know, there you, go. you know, color color me cracking another open because, you know, there you you, you lazy ass. Yeah. Yeah, snaps. That's easy, right? You don't have to. Yeah, exactly. You know, right. But if you would start drinking brown liquor, you won't have these problems. Well, yeah. I mean, I did. I, I did do that. You know, I did. I have been. Uh, you know, uh, going through this um, this burb this this bottle of bourbon which I got back in December. Um, it's almost it's almost empty, and that's a that's a it goes a long way for me. As a, and that's another thing is this money. It's like you know I get these four packs of like really decent beer, and it's like fifteen bucks. Mm -hmm. And know. Uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, I struggle have struggle is real. Struggle is real. It's a nice yeah, really. I mean, there's a lot more. <laughs> Important things to worry about, but uh, yeah, like, but budgeting like, for beer is one of them. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like it's almost at the top of the list, right after groceries and and I mean, I don't have a mortgage anymore, but mortgage and you know car insurance. Yeah, uh, it's right right up there. But yeah, it's um, you know, it's a hard habit to 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 break. Right. I, I mean, I didn't have a beer all week until last night. And, uh, you know, I always, I always have a pop for, for our conversations. And on the Friday night mm -hmm. show, last Friday show, I ended up scrolling my, my Facebook feed for 50 minutes. Right, cause you had, cause you had, you had somebody, I uh, had a had cancellation. So yeah. 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 Um, so, um, 
like we said at the top of the show, we're going to talk music, right? And this will become one of our favorite topics, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And mm-hmm. and as, as you know, uh, a year ago, uh, last year's class, um, you know, one of my favorite bands, uh, the Go-Go's got in, finally. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I watched their uh, induction ceremony on YouTube, uh, as you mm-hmm. do, because they don't air shit live. Um, yeah, I, I saw that as well. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it uh, Drew Barrymore inducted them. It was a really interesting uh, deal, yep. and mm-hmm. uh, their their performance was good. They sounded good. They looked good. It was a lot of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And if you've ever been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, and we've talked about this a little bit before, you'll realize and notice that it's not all guitar drums and and whatnot as the traditional definition of what we would call rock and roll music um, is what gets into the rock and roll hall of fame you know groups like public enemy are in the beastie boys yep. are in mm-hmm. right so yep. i was in a, a facebook group the other day and when the nominees came out for the 2022 class and uh, instantly there's an argument, there's a sure. debate and I hate to say it this way because I know how old we are, but I guess, you know, those of us who grew up spinning records, uh, mm-hmm. both for fun and professionally, um, you know, take umbrage to, to, it just seemed like the people who, who, uh, disparage, uh, hip hop or rap music, um, are older white people. Sure. It's, it's absolutely right. And even if you're not a fan, even just say, for example, if you weren't a fan, you could at least appreciate the cultural impact and you know where it comes from. And, you sure. know, yeah. Right. So I'm going to read off the yeah, list. Absolutely. I'm going to read off the list and, and we can talk about uh, as we go uh, a couple of the acts and I've got that are. A, and I've got it right in front of me, too. Just okay. I'm, I'm, pl- yeah. I'm reading along with you. Yeah. And there's some innovative uh, acts on here. There's some commercially successful acts. There's some underground. Mm-hmm. There's there's a little bit of every thing and i think this this right here this particular nominee class might be the most indicative of everything rock and roll encompasses it's it's a really good list yeah yeah, yeah we've got beck we've got pat benatar yep. we've got kate bush we've got devo we've got duran duran eminem eurythmics judas priest judas priest happened to be my very first concert and you'll never no kidding bo- yeah i was 11 you'll never guess who opened iron maiden Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, exactly. Then somebody named Fila Kuti or Kuti. Yep. I had to look him up. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, he's he's one of those uh, multi-instrument, uh, international, like, like world music yeah, Afro, kind of. Afro, Afro pop world music. Yeah, very influential. But yeah, I, I understand he's not a household name for a lot of people. But but uh, this is this is this is well-deserved. Well, it, it didn't say. help. He died young, too. He was like 58. Right. Uh, yep. MC5, uh, New York mm-hmm. Dolls, who are near and dear to my heart, David Johansson, right? Otherwise sure. known as Buster Poindexter. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he was, uh, New York Dolls were part of that early glam rock scene of the 70s. Sure. And it's, yep. it, you know, led to a lot of a lot of other things. Now I can't read this other one. Who is this? Uh, Dolly Parton? Dolly, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a graphic over the top of the that, that one. Yeah, Dolly oh, okay. Parton. Okay. Uh, then we got Rage Against the Machine, one of my favorite bands uh, mm-hmm. of all time. Uh, Lionel Richie, who, you know, you could you could put him in by himself. You could put the Commodores in. You could do all kinds yeah. of stuff there. Uh, Carly Simon, uh, one of the, the great singer-songwriters of, you know, the last 50 years. Not more than that, 60 years. Uh, Tribe Called Quest. 
and uh, Dion Warwick. Do you know the way to San Jose? The thing about Dion Warwick, did she know this was coming ahead of time? What's that? With Dion Warwick, did she know it ahead of time? Psychic oh, Psychic Friends second. Network. Oh, Stay oh, with me here. That's, a, that's that's a reference that took me a second to get because I totally <laughs> forgot about that. I know that. I know that she's. I know that what she's what's what she's known for these days is that she has a, a very famous Twitter feed. She has a Twitter mm. account that is. Uh, Do I kind have of, to follow uh, it now? I mean, I'm. A, you should. Yeah, well, I can't. I don't see why not. Um, a could. lot of a lot of uh, older. I do remember Psychic Friends. That was an '80s thing, I think, right? '80s or '90s. It was like at the same yes. time with uh, with Miss Cleo, right? Call me now for yes, your yes. free reading. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's there's no act on this list I can find fault with. Yeah, there's there's and and just as usual, um, you know, there there's some acts on here that I'm not necessarily a fan of. I don't sure. particularly care for Judas Priest, but I get it. You know what I mean? It's not about if if you personally like them it's and it's not even about like necessarily about like album sales or anything like that it's about how they influenced people that came after him i think that's that's that should be the main indicator i've always felt that way and i think that these every single one of these acts is influential you could take any one of these acts and you could name artists that that have been influenced by them like important artists and a lot of these are i mean I'd say the one that I'm kind of like eh about, and it's not because I don't necessarily like his music. It's um, I think if you're going to nominate Lionel Richie, I think I think the Commodores would be a better one. You know, I think I they, think Commodores go first, right? Well, the Commodores are first, of course, and then um, but it's just like I think they probably had more of an influence. I think you know Lionel Richie was like a pop singer and and he had hits and that was great but i'm i'm just trying to think like can you think of anybody who's just like yeah i got into music because of lionel richie you know what i mean it's kind of like i don't i don't know i mean it's it's he is the only true hit maker on this list from a from a popular top 40 standpoint um Um, you could say the eurythmics had a lot of pop hits um i don't know i mean but they were more they were more kind of like almost a new wave i mean that's sort of how they how they came up in terms of like a pure pop artist yeah that's probably true um maybe Dionne warwick although she was a little bit more like on the r&b side at least initially um but uh yeah i think that everybody here is i think is is worthy and 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 there's like you know i the list that i have has asterisks by the ones who were it's their first time being nominated mm. um and it's it's interesting to see that duran duran has never been nominated i mean they've certainly been eligible for a while they, their first album came out in like 81 or something so they've been eligible for a while and same thing with um uh let's see who else um uh, maybe that that's the only major surprise back i mean beck's been eligible he hasn't been eligible that long if it's 25 years after your first album and uh he's been around since probably around 93 so that's that that tracks um but it's interesting you know devo i mean you know kate bush kate bush is one of the ones that's like constantly like people are always like why isn't she on this why isn't she on this so it's nice to see i mean because you gotta i don't i don't really know issue with any of these no it's like it's like you know what are the snubs gonna be right how many are they gonna put in what are they usually put in about five six whatever it is um, Kate Bush is in that Patty Smith category, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, you know, as far as sphere of influence and all of that stuff. And, sure, and sure. you know, again, you want to talk experimental, right? You, you've got Beck who really put, has pushed the envelope throughout his entire career. Devo definitely flipped the script on music construction, song construction, 
right? Mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. quite though, not quite the way they might be Giants did over the years. But um, think about Duran Duran, right? Talk about them for a second. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for MTV, we probably would have never heard of Duran Duran. As good a musician as those guys are, their musicianship yeah. was fantastic. Their lyrics are stupid as fuck, but <laughs> but they were entertaining. Well, they they captured they captured the essence of the mid to late eighties. Yeah, I think you're you're right, and I think that they were. I mean, I remember. I remember being a fan of MTV from pretty much day one mm-hmm. and this, and, and they, they sort of MTV and Duran Duran essentially launched simultaneously. I think they both came out pretty much around the same time, like maybe even the same year. And they were a band that really took advantage of the fact that MTV could, you know, could be sort of like, a, you know, has, has sort of a fashion sense to it where it's mm-hmm. like, if you look good, if you look good, and you have the right hairstyle, you know, your MTV, your videos will be popular. It just so happened that they're also a, a really good band. Right. Um, so, so I think, and I think that's, they, MTV gave them the exposure, but they were able to, to, to move past that, I think, which is why, you know, I mean, they're, they're still very popular now. I mean, I think that there's sort of a, a resurgence in their popularity lately because of just sort of like, oh, it's retro. The eighties are cool again, but, yeah. but, but that doesn't necessarily mean that what they're doing now, I mean, I haven't heard it yet, but the latest album has been getting really good reviews. So I think that they have a lot of staying power and there's a lot of bands that I think, you know, we're, we're sort of influenced by them and sort of took what they did and, and, and uh, kind of ran with it. So I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that they were there. I really am. And, and I'd be disappointed if this round, they didn't get in the thing that separated, I think Duran Duran from a lot of other bands that, that were spawned in the eighties MTV era is their live performances. Right. So yeah. they, they were, you know, they were, they were doing stadium shows. They were doing, you know, this high energy stuff and, uh, you know, the, the screaming girls and, and the whole day. I mean, they were the epitome of, of, you know, eighties new wave rock at its pinnacle. Um, you know, Eminem is the one that's the lightning rod. And, you know, I want to spend a second talking about Eminem. The thing about Eminem that I always thought separated him from a lot of people. I think he's a brilliant lyricist mm-hmm. and you know, it's always food for thought. He always makes you think he's, he's always trying to be, and maybe not even purposefully he, he's controversial and yep. you know, he's brought a lot of uh, awareness to a lot of things. He's a, obviously a Dr. Dre disciple. He's going to perform at the Super Bowl next weekend, uh, you know, with, uh, with Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre and Mary J. Blige and Kendrick Lamar. Um, and, you know, the thing about Eminem, I think, you know, at a time when the third bases of the world and even the Beastie Boys uh, and some other groups started to fade away, here's this white guy coming in and totally flipped everything on its head. And, you know, there, there was, he did the, the movie eight mile and, yep. you know, and obviously the music videos, um, are all fun and tongue in cheek, even, even on the serious topics. And, and we've talked about it before and I don't want to go too into detail, but when you can add a word to the lexicon, like Stan, mm-hmm. You, you, which is you, which is one of your favorite words. I with know. my favorite, it's right up there with cheersing, <laughs> fucker. Um, right, but but the thing of it is, it, it's been added to the lexicon, right? Yeah. I mean, me being sure. a sports sports guy, right? Fan, which is short for fanatic, should be enough. 
But mm-hmm. but Stan is even beyond that. People forget the fact that you know Stan locked his freaking people in the trunk and they went off a bridge. But that's neither here nor there in right, in, exactly. in, the, in the song, right? So right, um, right, right. You know, and then to uh, to take um, things like Martika's uh, toy soldiers and and flip that on its head. And do you know the the guy? I've just always gotten the impression he was super smart. Yeah, and I think that. Um... Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, you, I mean, you're more, you know, more about the genre than I do, but, but, but I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he really seemed to be one of the first or one of the biggest white hip hop guys that, that people took seriously. Absolutely. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, like he, he was, he was, he, he was a force to be reckoned with. It wasn't just, Hey, look at this white guy trying to rap. I mean, he was, he was, he was spectacular at it. And he came up in those the rap battles in Detroit, and you know the, the people had to take him seriously because he won those battles. There was only like one one guy he couldn't beat, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and for Dr. Dre, who obviously is hip hop royalty, to take him under his wing and and you know help shepherd him along in his career, that speaks volumes, right? Yeah. I, I don't think Dr. Dre would have done that with anybody. Um, you know, talk about the Arismics, uh, Annie Lennox. Yes, you, you mentioned a lot of hit songs. Right. And yep. a lot of a lot of top 40 stuff, but it was edgier. It was a little darker. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, there was there was there was some there was some like synth synthy synth pop elements and there was also some sort of glam elements. I mean, it was very much um, it was kind of it was kind of fashion conscious, sort of like Duran Duran in that sense. But it was also I think uh, it was you know, they were really big. Their big decade was the 80s. And, and they're very indicative of their music is very indicative of that decade. But they kept going beyond that as well. And, and um, you know, it didn't it didn't really hurt that they're like super talented. I mean, Dave Stewart's a you know, multi instrumentalist and is famous producer. Amy Lennox has, you know, just such an amazing voice. Um, so it's, it's, it's that thing where it's just like they had the sort of fashion influence and the MTV influence, but they also happen to be very talented. And a lot um, of substance to their, to, to their lyrics, to their music, sure. a lot of symbolism, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Talk about Judas Priest for a minute. Like I said, my first concert was Judas Priest with Iron Maiden, believe it or not, at the Rochester War Memorial in Rochester, New York. I was 11 years old. Uh, a lot of a lot of good music from Judas Priest at that time. Uh, it was the mm-hmm. Screaming for Vengeance tour. Um, and, you know, they were they were coming off of, of, of a hit in, in Breaking the Law, and then, you know, they, they come out with You Got Another Thing Coming, and that entire Screaming for Vengeance album was really good. I wasn't an Iron Maiden fan at all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and when I tell people Iron Maiden opened for Judas Priest, they think I lie to them. Um, <laughs> you know, but lead singer Rob Halford um, was was one of the first one of the first rock and rollers to come out as gay, right? And and right. you know, it, it was an incredibly brave thing for him to do. Um, you know, I don't know a whole lot about MC Five. Um, you know, well, they're more of a um, they were. Uh... I think they were considered a very early version of punk. I mean, they, they sort of helped, you know, they were like late sixties, early seventies and they were very controversial and they were this sort of like Detroit band along with like, you know, Iggy and the Stooges. They, they, mm, okay. I, they, they, they're, they're very um, just sort of like really ahead of their time in that sense. Um, and, you know, they didn't really have any hits because their music really didn't get played on the radio. I mean, their biggest song, was called kick out the jams and the and the song goes uh-huh. kick out the jam kick out the 
kick out the jams motherfuckers and and yeah. you know that doesn't get that wouldn't get played on the radio now <laughs> right know? but but you know the only reason anybody really knows about them is from the tv show vinyl right because oh, right. Be, mm-hmm. because they were talked about the new york dolls were talked about i think the new york mm-hmm. dolls were put back into the collective consciousness because of vinyl um yep. which was a short-lived show on hbo with uh, bobby yep. Cannavale and uh mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I was surprised it got canceled. I heard I heard good things about it. I never saw it, but um, it's something I would be interested in checking out. It's probably on HBO Max still, even though the show's not around anymore. I would I hope and I would out. imagine. Yeah. yeah, I would check it out. I mean, you know, I, just know going into it, it goes nowhere because they canceled it. Um, right, right, uh, right. But uh, Bobby Cannavale is is you know is fantastic as this 70s record executive and you get this really gritty look at what it was like back then uh you know trying to to court acts for your music label and and all that and that and and new york dolls were were huge in that show mm-hmm. um you know and obviously david johansson was the the front man for new york dolls and uh went on to become known as uh, buster poindexter and and also was, and also made a, a lot of some solo albums as David Johansson right. as well, which were pretty good. So, yeah. And he was also in uh, Scrooged with Bill Murray. He played the cab That's driver. Right. Um, and he was a staple on Saturday Night Live as Buster <laughs> Poindexter. And uh, we all know his song, Hot, Hot, Hot. Um, Rage Against the Machine, uh, you know, there was some some fantastic, uh, you know, guitar. Um, I don't even know the right word, but there, there was just a lot of experimentation going on with what you could do with an electric guitar uh, mm-hmm. with, with Ra- Rage Against the Machine. But again, lyrics, right? Um, you have to listen to this. And this kind of goes back to a lot of that thrash I used to listen to in the in the 80s, even though I wasn't a skater. I sure as hell listened to the music. And, you know, this the, this sound of the 90s reminded me a lot of that, that 80s thrash. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, they were a lot of, there's a lot of fun, but there's also, uh, you know, a lot of anger and, and exact, I mean, talk about, uh, a very meta on the nose name of a band. Yeah. Well, yeah. And they, I think that part, uh, a big part of their influence is their, um, their, their, you know, political commentary and their, and their stance on social issues and things like that. And I think that, I think that that's a big part of why they are getting recognized. I mean, but again, also a great band. You know Tom Morello, great guitarist, and mm-hmm. they, they are they are really good. Um, but I think that they're going to be recognized. It's it'll be interesting to see who inducts them. It'll be interesting to see like who's who's giving the speech. You know, I mean, it's kind of like you know, I'm 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 thinking just like they're gonna they're gonna kind of do something really weird like that. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they had like Bernie Sanders does like an induction <laughs> speech or something <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? It's yeah, I don't think I have a feeling it's I have a feeling it's it's not going to be a musician. You know, it would probably be someone who's more of like a social commentator or a, or a politician or like a hip hop guy would do it. Like I can see I can see like Jay-Z or Eminem or somebody inducting. Uh, Ray, well, probably not Eminem because he's going to be there. But but you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just like I, I think that because their influence is so kind of weird in that sense, I can see them sort of being recognized by people who are outside of, of rock and roll or outside of music. So it, that, that'd be it. But I, I'm glad, I'm glad that they're there. I think it's, I think it's, it's well-deserved. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're like a sharper, edgier, nastier, red hot chili peppers there. Cause there's some well, of that, there's some of that, you know, that funk yeah. to it. Yeah, right? there is, but, but a lot more substance. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm not even going to get into that. Um, yeah. 
No, I, just kind of comparing the sound, right? I mean, it's like you sure. take Red Hot Chili Peppers and add a chainsaw. and <laughs> you know. So we talked about Lionel Richie, right? The Commodores, uh, obviously yeah. a very, very influential band in the 70s. And Lionel Richie, again, another one who took advantage of of, of the 80s and, and MTV and music videos and, uh, you know, yeah. to, uh, to uh, cultivate a new audience. Um, Carly Simon is, is just one of those amazing singer songwriters from the 60s and 70s that you almost forget about her and then when you hear her yeah. music you're like oh god this is good yeah. um you know and and again lyrics with meaning um very autobiographical in in a lot of her music yeah and i think i think part of part of an era that was really sort of bloomed in the 70s where you had these singer-songwriters who were not like rock singer-songwriters. You could almost say it's more like folk or folk mm-hmm. pop. I mean, yeah, because you had you know, Don McLean and, and Jim uh, Croce. James, Ta- James Taylor, James Taylor and, yeah. and people like that. And and, and I think that, um, uh, yeah, I think that it's it's interesting. I, you you had mentioned the um, – you had talked the last time about the Laurel Caney documentary. Mm-hmm. She, was, she, was she featured in that at all? Or not was featured, another... no, mentioned, but not featured. Yeah. Yeah, because it's that same kind of school, I yes, think, 100%. and I think we're we're seeing more and more of those artists getting recognized in the Hall of Fame, and it, you know, it's 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 overdue, I guess, but it's nice to see them getting the recognition. Well, we talked about it before, right? You, you just mentioned it with uh, um, with the Laurel Canyon crowd, right? Because I think yeah. I think there's this, you know, in in the fifties when the dawn of rock and roll, you know, we can point to a lot of rockabilly. Right. And mm-hmm. as you get into the 60s, there's there's a lot of different movements in, in rock and roll. But in the mid 60s, that that folk rock sound that comes out of Southern California, you know, leads to a lot of the stuff you alluded to in the 70s. I mean, because you're looking at also other, you know, power rock groups like uh, like Paul Revere and the Raiders and, and the Association and, you know, a lot of these almost ensemble rock groups. Right. Um, that kind of de- evolved independently of what was going on in, in Laurel Canyon. So um, very interesting, you know, to see the individual uh, singer-songwriter. Uh, and, and yeah, the 70, I mean, even Billy Joel spawns from that, right? right. I mean, his, right. the stuff that he did in the mid to late 70s before he he really goes on to this rock and roll career, he's known as, as this, uh, you know, really good singer songwriter, you know, for piano man and, and a bunch of other mm-hmm. things at that time, mm-hmm. moving yep. out and some, some other big hits that he had before, you know, uh, becoming somebody who can, who can carry Madison square garden. Uh, right. You know, tribe called quest. You know, I think this is another one of those groups that um, <laughs> almost stands on its own, speaks for itself. Do we really need to debate their, their place? Um, oh yeah, you know, right, absolutely. And one of those bands that I think that's in terms of hip hop, they were not necessarily the most financially successful, c- commercially successful, but they're they're a band that 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 uh, hardcore fans love and and the critics love, you know. And so that's makes them a shoe in almost, you know, when you think about it. Yep, and and the one name that that pops it, you know, is Q Tip. So you know, when you mm-hmm. you start talking about. You know, names of, of people, we've talked about it before with Elvis Costello and the fluidity of uh, of names and identity and that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, none of us know what the hell his real name was, but, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, Ice Cube, Ice T, 
and and a lot of these folks and Master P and and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and they become household names. Uh, if, right. You know whether you're a fan or not, you've at least heard of them. And and again, Dion Warwick, who you know again, you know Lionel Richie, Dion Warwick, I, right? You can't deny their influence on on music. Um, and you know, did they disrupt enough to be considered rock and roll? Because my, my thing is you, you mentioned influence and I agree with you, right? This goes beyond album sales. This goes beyond all that. We we used to say in pro football, can you tell the story of pro football without this guy? And if you can't, that guy needs to be in the hall of fame. So can you tell the story of popular music without talking about Lionel Richie or Dion Warwick? I don't think you can. Right. Right. But it is also but it is also we're getting into the areas of, you know, the difference between something like a a, a Hall of Fame that recognizes art as opposed to a Hall of Fame that recognizes a sport that has like uh, statistics that go along with it. So, I mean, there there always is that kind of apples and oranges thing. But I understand what you're saying in terms of like, yeah, could you tell the history of rock and roll without mentioning this person? I mean, if you have a lot of time to tell a very long story, yeah, I mean, (laughs) you know, it depends on how long you're right. Yeah, how long you got. I mean, you know, obviously, if 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 you've got like five minutes to tell it, you definitely want like the Beatles and the Stones and Elvis, sure, the Who, uh, the Who, yeah, yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I think that um, I would almost say that that Dionne Warwick is probably more deserving than Lionel Richie simply because I think her career lasted longer. I mean, she was around, I think, I think in the 60s. So her, you know, she she goes back a lot further. Um, But Lionel Richie, I think, is probably overall a bigger I think there's more name recognition and that probably counts for something. I don't know. And we got to talk a little bit about Pat Benatar, right? Because, again. Oh, sure. And here's here's another uh, MTV not product, but somebody who was who was put on our radar because of MTV, and and again, yeah, somebody who, who did a lot of cinematic work with music videos, and yeah, and yep. you know, and uh, came back around a few years ago doing these night these eighties tours, and um, yep. you know, fantastic uh, performer and very creative, and a lot of songs that we remember, but are also parodied and, and, uh, uh-huh. you know, it, it, when you start getting parodied, uh, you, you've done something, uh, and, uh, you know, shows like, um, whose line is it anyway? You know, they've, they've done some skits that, uh, uh, involve Pat Benatar and, but just, yeah. you know, she had an iconic look. Sure. Right. We all know yeah. you say Pat Benatar songs and the look instantly spring to mind. Well, I think also, um, I don't know if you remember this, and I think we may have even talked about it, but in the um, when the Go-Go's were inducted and they were all individually doing their acceptance speeches, and I think it was um, Kathy Valentine, the bass player, who was talking about how, you know, this is, you know, the Go-Go's getting inducted is a big thing for women in rock and roll, and we hope that we see more of this because women, I think, have not really been fairly represented, well, in general, but in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame specifically. So I think what this is, is this is, we're starting to see that more and more now, hopefully, with Kate Bush and with Pat Benatar, who are two people who I think belong in there for completely different reasons. I mean, Pat Benatar is more of like a rock singer. Kate Bush is more of sort of like an early sort of alternative icon, you mm-hmm. know, so they, 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 they're sort of from different schools. But I think the fact that 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 they're so late in getting recognized is because of this sort of latent sexism that the, the, that the hall of fame has. So hopefully, you know, we'll see more and more of that. And I think we will. And that's why I hope we'll see like, you know, 
I'm 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 surprised that Bjork's not in there yet. I mean, she's like incredibly influential. So maybe next year, you know. Right. And and you know, the thing about Kate Bush, um, she is spawned from the post punk era, which, you know, leads yeah. to so much of my favorite music, right? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, you know, and then Devo again, as we talked about, experimental. Um, they go in, I think, uh, even if they were a one hit wonder, which they weren't, uh, would go in on the strength of one freaking song. Whip it is, <laughs> is, you know, an iconic hit. Um, it's a great song. It I mean, is. It's, it's, it's a silly song, but it's also a really good song. Absolutely. Sorry, it's got gonna, a great hook and it's got a great hook and yep. yeah. Yep. And, and, and an iconic music video and yeah, the silly hats and everything else. I mean, you just go in on, you know, the strength of one fucking song and you know, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Right. I mean, but they, but, they, but there's but there's so much more to it. Oh God. So, yeah. They're just yeah. you know, and and is it's it's you put them in the same category as is the David Burns of the world, right? Mm-hmm. You know, let's do yeah, something to it. Right. I mean, Burns doing weird shit now, but um, but yeah, you know, experimental, flip the script, yeah, put the industry on its on its head, and and just do what they want. And which I have a, an enormous respect for, um, you know, and again, yeah. it's the epitome of what rock and roll is. Rock and roll yeah. is disruptive. It's fuck right. you. Screw the man. What did they say mm-hmm. in the sixties? Up yours. Right. That was mm-hmm. the thing. Mm-hmm. All right. That's mm-hmm. what they said. Um, you know, and it's, you know, even though we're older, we, <laughs> it's kind of funny. We identify more with that than we do with conformism. Yeah. Conformity, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's just we're too fucking tired to be disruptive at 52, 53 years old. I'm, uh, I'm interested. I'm interested to see. Um, there's a lot of people who are sort of from the, there's a lot of people from the 80s that I'm looking forward to and hopefully we'll see inducted before too long. And, and people that you and I were both, you know, like, like, I'm surprised that New Order's not in. I really am. And I think their know, time will come. It has to. It, it really does because, um, you know, when you when you look at their origin and you look at, at what they've been able to do ever since Ian Curtis's uh, unfortunate uh, suicide, um, mm-hmm. you know, they they have incredible staying power. I have New Order Complete on vinyl, 180 gram pressing, and it sounds absolutely freaking incredible. You're not supposed yeah. to. You know, they said it when we were disc jockeys. They said you too wasn't supposed to put out that good of an album at that point. Um, and mm-hmm. and New Order shouldn't have been shouldn't be putting out albums that sound as good as New Order Complete at that at this point. You know, and, I, yeah. and they've they've had newer music since. But you know, um, you know, I saw them in concert in 2014, uh, the last time in San Francisco, and they were they were fantastic, and it was a pleasant surprise. It, Jillian was on tour with them because she's in and out and in and out. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was great to see that you're not going to see the original lineup because of the falling out with Peter hook. So, um, right. which is unfortunate. And I'd love to see Peter hook in the light because they do a lot of joy division stuff and early new order. Yep. And, um, you know, again, you know, when we talk about my three favorite brand, three brands, bands, you're talking new order, the beastie boys and the go-go's and two out of three in there right now. 
Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but the thing about new order, I mean, go watch 24 hour party people. If you want to see where they spawned from. Right. I mean, yeah. um, <clears throat> you know, that, that whole Manchester new wave sound, right. We talk about the, yeah. the Beatles and Liverpool and all that, but you mm-hmm. know, the stuff mm-hmm. that came out of, of Manchester, um, and I don't know, it has to do with my, my English heritage, but you know, it just, it, it's, it has spoken to me for years and well, you know, yeah. Um, uh, and speaking of uh, Manchester is, um, you know, he, uh, and I understand that, you know, Morrissey has been. Let's uh, get in there because you, you broke up you on know. me. Say it again. Can you hear me? I can now. Okay. Um, talking about Manchester and the man. Um, I really would love to see the Smiths get in there, although probably won't, but whatever. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's so many of our favorite bands and stuff that we grew up on, you know, listening to that, that, you know, during our formative years, we, you know, we could make arguments for them. Um, you know, and, and the question is, does, you know, the body politic agree with us. Right. And, and considering, considering we have to have the same fucking argument about rap and hip hop every damn time. Um, Mm -hmm. my, my gut says no. So, you know, I, I could, I could pick, you know, probably a dozen bands from new order to the psychedelic furs that probably belong in the rock and roll hall of fame that'll never get there. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, the, I'd rather see the inclusion like you talk about with, with women in rock and roll. Right. Because I think there's, there's so many that pioneered the stuff that we have today. Right. So, Groups like the Donnas wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the Bangles and the Go-Go's. Groups, sure. uh, punk band like, uh, you know, one that opened for the Go-Go's that I saw in 2018 called Potty Mouth, they wouldn't exist. There's a hybrid uh, male-female band out of England. It's actually going to play South by Southwest that I've been dying to see in the States called Desperate Journalist. Um, mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> It's a great name. Absolutely. Right. It speaks, <laughs> speaks to us on a different level, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. When, you know, in the salad days. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I think when it comes to, to music and, you know, one of my favorite bands is the Sundays. I can listen yeah. to Harriet Wheeler all day long. The, the throwing muses. I can listen to Tanya Donnelly all day long. Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and the stuff that, um, you know, with the, uh, the breeders and, uh, you know, Kim, the stuff that Kim Deal's done in her whole career. I think, I think they don't exist if it's not for the Pat Benatars, the Go Go's, the Bangles. Go all the way back sure. the Joni Mitchells, the Carly Simons, even the Ricky Lee Joneses. Right? Mm-hmm. They don't exist if it's not for them. Yeah. All right. All right. Absolutely. So- yeah, and you know I can listen to like Tanya Donnelly sing the phone book. Um, if anybody out there knows what a fucking phone book is, um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So since we're on the topic of music, we were just talking about England, right? We're talking about music out of England. Now this Eurovision thing, what the fuck is going on with this? It's coming to the United States. It's gonna be state versus state instead of country versus country. Can we steal one more thing from the European states? Didn't we steal the Office? Didn't we steal all this other shit? All these good shows um, from, like, Whose Line Is It Anyway? whole bunch of stuff we've stolen from England and, and elsewhere. Can't we come up with some original shit? And I know we're going to take Eurovision, and somehow, someway, we're going to ruin it. Yeah, it's not really, in my opinion, it isn't even really worth ruining. 
<laughs> this whole idea of a song I just I don't know I mean we were talking before we started taking we were talking about Eurovision and how I you know um, I remember maybe not so much when we were in Iceland because we were from you know <laughs> the uh, every outside the but I when I was in I was in Italy for a few years and that's such a thing it's like you know it's like football season you know it's it's all anyone ever talks about um I, I don't know I think the whole thing I think the reason why they're copying it is because it has this sort of reality American Idol thing to it, American beat up. So, you know, it, it may prove to be very popular, but to be honest with you, I just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. It's something that, I, something that I'm just going to ignore. Yeah. You know, here here's my thing, right? Because all the different things that we've been seeing the last couple of years, the masked singer and and all mm-hmm. this other stuff, all they really are to me are are shows with four yelling judges. Yeah, and it goes back to the original, the the beginning of like dancing with the the has beens and never will bees. Um, it it's it's judges just yelling like, "Yay! It's the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life!" Yay! Yeah, right. I can't do it. I just can't fucking do it. And it, it I, I don't understand. And, and I guess this goes back to, you know, that God awful freaking strike we had that spawned reality television as we know it today with survivor and the amazing race and everything else. And just these shows, um, they keep re- coming up with new ones and repackaging them. They ruined American idol because it took Simon's snarky ass off and Paula's drunk ass off. Um, and, and, you know, we, we stopped making fun of the William Hungs of the world and actually started to care about people's backstories. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, it, it, another thing that kind of bothers me is that, um, uh, you, you know, people are aspiring to this. You know, people want, people are, aspire, you know, if someone is a musician or a, they aspire in some cases to, be on the shows and covered like this, which is such a fucked up way to famous, you know, when you, and you think about what you want. I mean, you know, uh, I think if Bob Dylan went on American Idol, that, that he would move on to the next round or whatever. <laughs> of course not. And that's, you can't just say, Hey, this person is going to be, you know, to have your career made or broken by a minute audition on television seem so i don't know i mean arbitrary and, and a lot of these yeah and then a lot of these american idol people who have gone on to become very famous i mean how many of them are still i mean are we still talking about Susan boyle are we still talking about clay aiken i mean it's short ride you know if 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 you go that way and it, it it's it's all done for for our entertainment and it's like no art there you know what i mean I agree, I and know. and you got to get your head out of the microwave because you're still breaking up a little bit. Um, I'm not. My, it's not in the microwave. <laughs> I was doing that age ago. I don't know what to you. <laughs> well, get away from the the TV antenna. Um, okay. But yeah, no, I I agree with you. I mean, we're talking. We're still talking about Kelly Clarkson a little bit, right? And Justin Guarini yeah. has reinvented himself as Little Sweet for Dr Pepper, for fuck's sake, and. Okay. I mean, I take your word for it. No, I'm dead serious because I love the character. I think the character is freaking hilarious. And then they had to put on the screen a year ago or two years ago that that little sweet is played by Justin Guarini. Yeah. 
who, if you remember, finished second to Kelly Clarkson in the first year of American Idol. Now, he okay. looks nothing like he used to and he, nothing like, you know, the the clown who was in the movie, uh, you know, from Kelly to Justin or whatever the hell it was called. And mm-hmm. so I, I think the character is freaking hilarious. And when they put that on there, I'm like, I could have gone my entire life not knowing that. I didn't yeah. need to know that. So, no. right. But apparently, you know, I mean, I'm sure he had it in his contract. He had to let everybody know he was a little sweet. Um, <laughs> you know, but but again, your point is made, right? I mean, you've got, um, what's her name? The country singer, the freaking religious fanatic. Um, you know, she's the only other one having a career besides Kelly Clarkson. Uh, I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah, you do. I can't remember her damn name. She does a freaking <laughs> intro for Sunday Night Football. Um, what the hell's her well, name? Well, you know, I don't know anybody the, that way. Well, I know, but the freaking blonde Looney Tune, uh, another okay. anti vaxxer. Um, and okay. uh, yeah, CBS Sunday Morning did an interview with her and some time ago. And oh, yeah, you want to talk about a Bible thumper? Um, god, why can't I think of her name? Um, she won the whole damn thing. She's country singer, can't she? Did uh, uh, Before He Cheats that song, you know, what I'm talking about. Um, I uh, know, but I'm looking it up. No, uh, I don't yeah. think I'm going to be able to tonight with, uh, you're not going to be able to sleep now in case, you know, Carrie Underwood. There you go. Thank you. God. Why couldn't oh, I, I think know, of her I didn't know she was, uh, I didn't know she was a religious uh, fanatic. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Everything. Okay. Jesus, this and Jesus, that. And yeah. okay. It, as you do. Um, <laughs> but, right. but the thing of it is you're right. I mean, her and Kelly Clarkson and maybe a couple of others have had decent, you know, careers. Um, and then there was the one guy, I can't, I'm going to look that up too. There was another guy who like finished fourth or fifth or whatever. Um, and, and had some hit songs. And then you got, um, uh, Jennifer Hudson, who I can't uh-huh. stand. Um, but, uh, you know, has forged some kind of career for herself, um, in musical theater and, and movies and, and sure. that kind of thing. She won an Oscar. Yeah. I don't know how. Um, but, uh, it just, I find it really interesting, you know, all of this stuff. I think what, what you're finding is, and I've, I've discussed this with a lot of people, that the audience has become the tastemakers. And mm-hmm. good, bad, or otherwise, right? But, you know, I, I think, you know, those days when, you know, the next great blues singer or jazz singer is discovered in a smoky club, it's kind of over. But, at the same time, American Idol and, and all these other shows is a pretty fucked up way to get discovered too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're still talking you know, about a very, very small percentage. Right. Like, um, I yeah. I and and it, the thing is, is that I've never really, never really got into shows. You know, I've never really been been watching them. So it's kind of like I, I I don't have a dog in this fight. You know what I mean? It's kind of like <laughs> don't want to die on that hill. I'm not dying on this. There's no hill for me here, um, but it's, I don't know. I mean, weird where people watching these, I really thought that this was a fad that would go away, but I mean, you have this masked singer thing. The current one is voice still on or is that? Yeah, that's still a thing. I mean, Ariana Grande is like the new coach or whatever. And yeah, and it's, it's not going away, unfortunately. And it's another reason why I don't watch network television. Right. So yeah. Uh, which I, I, you know, people are still watching Blue Bloods for some strange odd reason. Meanwhile, Tom <laughs> Selleck's trying to sell me a fucking reverse mortgage uh, and, tell, and telling me in the same breath he's not trying to scam me. 
Um, so, right. right. But, but the thing of it is, you know, I don't understand the music industry anymore when it comes to uh, how you measure what's popular. We used to read Billboard magazine. We used to follow album sales because that was our job and we needed to know what was popular at the time. And it, it just gets to, you know, everybody bitches about the award shows, the Grammys and everything else at this point. Talking about, uh, I had my friend uh, Carlos Custis on a couple of weeks ago, and he's um, mm-hmm. he's the creator of uh, Laugh Mob's Laugh Tracks and and on True TV, and we were we were talking about a lot of this this you know the inclusion and and award shows and you know let's just not nominate crap just because we want to nominate something, um, yeah, right. So uh, it, it you know this all ties into the the rock and roll. Hall of Fame conversation, right? And it, it just, I, I think the bigger conversation with that is who gets left out rather than who let, gets let in. Uh, I mean, yeah, but it's also just like, you know, they can do whatever they want. I mean, it's just, if they want to, if it, it's always going to people who are going to be like, oh, how, how can you not let, have this person? And that's why it's so, like I said, it's so, so it, the fact that you have the, and there aren't like batting average and all that you know what i mean you could say oh we could we could go by album bills but you don't want to do that because then you get bieber and you don't get you know um back you know what i mean right it, 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 and 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 that's where the sort of um the the influence and the talent is more important than itself but again how do you how do you measure that so uh, you know it's it, like as I've said before, I think the Hall of Fame is—it's kind of silly, but it's fun to of like talk about it and say, "Gee, why is this and why isn't it?" And it's fun to argue about it. But the kind of thing, kind of like when people, you know, the top fifty greatest albums of all time. You know, the thing that they do more than anything else is just start arguments. Which be fun, <laughs> and, yeah. And I know, and I and I enjoy, and I enjoy arguing with people about. That because it's fun but in the end it's just kind of like you know you can listen to whatever you want to listen to whether it's on a or not you know that's the thing about music you could listen to the most obscure and you know it'll never get it'll never be extremely popular and it doesn't matter because you know you don't have a you're collecting royalties on it if you listen to music you know it's it's whatever and did i go there or what yeah your your internet is a lot of fun tonight Oh man, I'm you sorry. were you were great for on. like fifty minutes, and then the last ten or so is just like, you know, I don't know. You're you're too far from the router. I like I said, your head's in the microwave. I don't know what the hell you're doing. You, you put you you're wearing you, you put on your tinfoil hat. We were talking about Joe Rogan. You put on the tinfoil hat. Uh, um, yeah, that's it. How did you know? <laughs> no, but I get I get your point, and you know, it's like we talked about Bob Dylan winning a Pulitzer, right? It's like okay. Um, how in the hell did he win a Pulitzer? And I'm not a big Dylan fan, right? I mean, uh, just just his voice alone, you're like, eh, yeah, right? Yeah, no, I hear you. Right, but but at the same time, you got to understand number one, what he was trying to say, and number two, the cultural impact. And if you can understand these things, yeah. put aside whether or not you're a fan or not, and realize right. and understand the cultural impact, you'll understand the people who are nominated for this fucking Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing. You're right. There are no statistics when it comes, I mean, because you have to throw album sales out the window, especially in today's day and age. Um, in at least the last, you know, 15, 20 years, you have to throw them out mm-hmm. the window. Um, 
I don't think anything with Spotify changes until like somebody like Billie Eilish says something, right? Or one of their, yeah. their bigger, younger artists. Right. And it's great if you can have a, a no bust newscast. Remember that? Oh my God. Those were rare. <laughs> oh, were I, those I, rare? I, I directed one. I did directed you? One. Did you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I directed a no bust newscast. But I, I, I could probably count on one hand the amount, the, the ones that I witnessed, and one of them was mine. So. Wow. I might have had one. I don't remember uh, that granular detail. It's what? funny. I heard I heard a story once where somebody was saying to me, um, like someone, someone, uh, I think Mark Boyd told me that he had directed one. And then I was talking to somebody else like um, Jamie or somebody else. He says, yeah, I was there. It technically wasn't really no bus news because he let he let a couple of things slide that he shouldn't have. He was he was going for a record that he knew he couldn't attain. And so they let they let a couple of things slide. He's like, there's going to be an asterisk next to that one. It's like when I, some of the shows I watch on TV or a, or, or a sports game, you know, and uh, there, there's a, a bad camera movement. The technical director took something too soon. And I'm like, oh, there goes the Emmy for that one. <laughs> it, it's, yeah. it's, it's funny because, you know, I'll poke holes in stuff that I, I watch, you know, because, of, you know, the storytelling aspect, you know, that I can't turn off the, the writer in me. And, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, when I'm watching something and there's a technical problem, like in a newscast or a talk show or even a sporting event, I'm like, yeah, you're not winning for that one. Nope. Don't right. even submit it. <laughs> It's not going to do not because, you know, because when we used to have to, to submit for awards, boy, we, we got picky with those. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, talking about just the music industry in general, I, it's funny. I'll, I'll you know, talk about, uh, I, I've got to mention, uh, cause we got to work in the Stephen King angle. Uh, so there's no, no real sidewalks where I live. And so, you know, walking, you know, for exercise recently, I thought I was going to get Stephen Kinged with a van on the, uh, the edge of the shoulder. Oh, oh <laughs> good, good thing it was coming at me. So I'm like, eh. too, soon, too soon to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we always bring up Stephen King. Um, but, uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I was watching, um, let the right one in last night and I forget mm. who's doing it. I think it's showtime is going to be doing a series. Uh, based on the book and the movie, let the right one in, and also the and that's uh, like a it's like a vampire story. Right? Yes, it is, and they're gonna make me read the damn book. Um, I think I think the original is like Norwegian or Swedish, um, yeah. and then the American Hilarious. remake had Chloe Grace Moretz in it, and uh, which the American remake actually was really really good, which is rare uh, after they screwed up uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know Stieg Larsson rolling in his grave. Um, and uh, it, uh, they're talking about doing a series, which, which will be really interesting. Uh, they pushed back the release of uh, Morbius, which is a Marvel vampire character movie starring Jared Leto uh, as Michael Morbius. Uh, he's a Spider-Man villain, so I don't know if they'll ever get to uh, you know, him uh, uh, fighting Spider-Man. But um, uh, it's... Um, kind of interesting we're, we're kind of waiting for stuff like the next season of of stranger things and mm-hmm. um but one thing i wanted to talk to you about and i don't know if you've had a chance to watch it yet and if you have hulu you can you can check it out is guillermo del toro's remake of nightmare alley no, no but i've i know you mentioned it i have a couple of friends who have seen it and really enjoyed it um, I don't really know anything about the original. I mean, I, if, if I were to watch it, I'm kind of happy that 
I, I, I want to watch it and go into it knowing as little as possible. But having having said that, why don't you tell me what you know? <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers. Um, all-star cast, Bradley Cooper, Kate uh, Blanchett, uh, Ron Perlman, Willem Dafoe, uh, a bunch of other folks you'd know uh, are in it. And um, it's one of the few film noirs that took place in a carnival. Mm-hmm. And uh, which there was another one uh, I can't remember the name of um, that had uh, like Dana Andrews or somebody like that in it. This actually, the original actually stars Tyrone Power, which very rare role for him because he was this matinee idol, and for him to play a darker character was was really against type. It's almost like John Hamm in in uh, Baby Driver, right? Yeah. Um, so um, it does take place in a carnival. Uh, Bradley Cooper's the main character. Um, and, uh, you know, he's trying to make his way, uh, as a carny, uh, with an act and, uh, you know, trying to just become famous. And, uh, he's, he's like Icarus, right? He flies a little too close to the sun mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, you know, hilarity ensues. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's a film noir. What the fuck do you think happens? Um, right. you know, everybody dies. No. Um, so it, it's, um. It's obviously in in full blazing color. Um, I think uh, there's a lot of uh, nuance to Kate Blanchett's character that I, I I didn't notice in her counterpart in the original. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, my only and and it's good you haven't seen the original because going into this, yes, you should have no expectations. It's almost a shot for shot remake. Interesting. And as okay. as rich and layered and textured as it was, and there's, I liked Willem Dafoe's uh, performance. I liked him in it. Um, and then uh, you know, uh, let's see, uh, Tony Collette's in it. Um, mm-hmm. Her counterpart in the original was larger than life, and she's a little more um, downplayed. But uh, yeah, it was a it was almost a shot for shot remake. It's a little more graphic. It's a little more in your face, but I was a little disappointed in that. Right? I mean, not that it's not well made and and you know not good performances. It's just if you've seen the original and you're a fan of film noir and you watch this, you're like, okay, I've seen this before. Right. Right. Um, hmm. But at the same time, it, it has a lot of rich set pieces and. You know, you you really think you're you're in the 1940s, right? And uh, uh, it's it's really d- well done that way. A lot of Art Deco, um, right? It's uh, it's you know, again the this the just the atmosphere is is really well done. So, uh, but the penalt or, or the uh, the actual like uh, catalytic moment is is kind of done. That's like the one thing that's really done differently uh, mm-hmm. than the original. Uh, but um, but I thought again, Kate Blanchett. There's there's a moment in the film where where she's definitely better than her counterpart in the original. So, but um, but yeah, it's uh, you know it's not it's not L.A. Confidential, you know, right, right. Nor which was an original be. story, but um, you know, similar similar thing, right? It's an all star cast. It's it's rich layered set pieces it's you know um very deep performances um you know but i don't know i was i don't know what i was expecting but it's worth watching let's put it that way okay you like noir watch the film 
Yeah, I do. I do. Um, it should be interesting. I, um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but I, um, this week I've, I watched, uh, have you seen dope sick that Hulu series? You mentioned it and I have not seen it. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's, it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's not exactly a rip roaring good time. I mean, it's a bit, it's, it's, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of sad. I don't know if you know the story behind it, like what it's about, but it's, um, it's a, it's a, it's like an eight episode, uh, mini series basically. And it's a dramatization of, basically the creation and manufacture and sale of Oxycontin. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So All the controversy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, okay. I'm not seeing that, know. but I know the story behind it, right? The Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> the Sackler family in Purdue Pharma. Right. Basically, right. you know, they were driven by greed to, to, to manufacture this drug and they were trying to- To create the opioid was, crisis. They basically created the opioid crisis. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and, it, and it talks about how it like- affects these all people all over the world uh and you know especially like this they focus on this small mining town in kentucky and uh michael keaton plays like the the, the town doctor and um and you know talk about someone who's had this really amazing sort of career renaissance i mean he he was just like phenomenal in this movie and um a lot of other great performances too i mean it's a very you know a lot of really great uh, sort of character actors in the movie and or in the series um but it's um it's an important show but it's also kind of depressing i mean because they 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 follow around people who are sort of like crippled by addiction and everything and it's just like you know uh, but it's it's good because you know they ended up paying a shitload of money and, and lost not nearly enough not nearly enough though no no i mean they basically find them to death but um uh they didn't nobody i don't think anybody went to jail no and they really, should have and they should have, yeah. I mean, it, it, and especially after watching this, you think, how could they possibly get away with it? And didn't they and, fix it they, so they could never be sued again? Too. I mean, they can never like, be sued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, it, 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 yeah. So go watch the latest season of Goliath with Billy Bob Thornton, and it's all about the, the opioid opioid crisis. Oh wow! Yeah, I watched like the first two seasons of that. And yeah, you got to watch the it, last season. It, I mean, it was good. I enjoyed it. And it's one of those shows where it's just, I kind of like forgot about it after I watched it and I forgot that there were subsequent seasons. So how many seasons are they up to now? Is it I think, four it's, I think or? it's three or four. And yeah. two, two things about this. <clears throat> Number one, uh, JK Simmons is in it and you know, he's fantastic. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. And, uh, Bruce Dern gives a fantastic performance as a lunatic, as you can imagine, as, as he does. I was going to say, that's real typecast. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's a little <laughs> little too on the nose. Um, but, um, you know, uh, obviously, uh, Patty's great uh, in it. And uh, it, it's just, it, the season is great. Um, and the best part about it is, beyond beyond the fact that I think it's, it's one of the better seasons of Goliath, I think it's the best season since season one, is that it ends with Kerouac's October in the Railroad Earth. Oh, wow. There you go. That's right up your alley. Oh, 100%. So, because the whole thing takes place in San Francisco, and as Billy Bob is leaving San Francisco to go back to L.A., um, it's it's over Kerouac's October in the Railroad Earth with the with the piano riff and everything else from from mm -hmm. the uh, the Steve Allen uh, collaboration. Uh, with the jazz piano and all that. And it's just, yeah, it, uh, it speaks to me. So, uh, next month is, would have been Kerouac's 100th birthday, by the way, uh, born, oh, wow. born in March, uh, in 1922 in Lowell, Massachusetts. Um, and you know, 
it's he would have never lived that long anyway. Um, <laughs> true. Died, died at forty-seven. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, it, it's some of that streaming stuff. The limit. I I really like the limited series as opposed to the stuff that drags on unless it's like a Stranger Things. I just watched something called Archive eighty-one, and it's uh, it's about a guy who restores uh, film, pictures, and videotapes. And yeah, and he uh, gets drawn into restoring all these these uh, videotapes um, in some secret facility in uh, the Catskills in New York. And um, it's a a lot of supernatural shit that happens. And uh, there's a cult and sacrifice and and but I I recommend uh, giving that a watch, especially those of us who've worked in video and television and and that kind of thing. And it's it's mm-hmm. really interesting. Uh, some of it reminded me of our old real to real splicing days, uh, which I think sure. is, I still have scars on my fingertips from that. And uh, and and what's what's this on? I believe it was Netflix. Oh okay. Yeah, I wanna I wanna say it was Netflix. So. Um, yeah, there's there's uh, some some other uh, Korean storytelling on there. Some series, uh, one is called Hellbound, which I found really interesting. Hopefully, we'll get another season of that. And then there's another series because everybody was in a Squid Game, right? So mm-hmm. um, there's another one. It's called Bulgasol, and uh, it got to be a little too melodramatic for me. It's kind of a dark fantasy type thing. Um, okay. And uh, you know, it, it spans like 600 years to modern day, and um, you know, me being the son of a, a Korean woman, I, I tend to lean toward listening to uh, uh, the, the spoken Korean language. And uh, so I, I don't mind reading the screen when I watch these things. Uh-huh. But uh, but yeah, it's um, as far as uh, books and, and reading and all that, uh, I've been reading. OK, so I wanted to talk to you about this a little bit. Right. Um, because I'm not a fan of litigating history. Right. I, my, of what? Sorry, what did you say? Litigating history. Okay. So my favorite movie of all time is the 1933 King Kong, and if you if you go look at it through a certain lens, you can find all kinds of racist tropes and shit that's wrong with it, right? Sure. And the the thing is, I, I don't I don't like you know looking back at things and and criticizing them because you know. I hate to use the word, but we're woke in 2022, right? We're mm-hmm. we're aware of sexism and racism and this, that, and the other thing. I've been reading Servants of Twilight by Dean Koontz. And I love Dean Koontz. My, I, I think I, I put him above Stephen King as far as my favorite authors go. It's like mm-hmm. a 1A and 1B thing at this point. And, and the book right. was written in 1984. And some of the, the characterizations, the main character is female, Secondary character is a male private detective. I find this to be incredibly cringy. Okay. The way the private detective practically falls in love with the woman the minute he meets her, and then just the way Kuntz characterizes and describes how the, the detective feels about her and what he thinks of her. Like, you can't, you couldn't do it today. There's no way you could do it today. Right. And I, I right. just find it really, really interesting because normally I'm able to put aside my 2022 lens and be in the moment. 
Right? I can put myself in 1984, and it, that kind of thing doesn't bother me. Right? I'll go back and watch movies from the 80s, and I can I can be instantly transported, and the either the misogyny or whatever it is, unless it's overt racism, because that'll always bother me. Yes, but, but it doesn't bug me, right? But reading this, it's just I find it really really interesting that I'm like. I don't like this very much. I don't care. Yeah. You're right. And maybe that's because yeah, yeah. it signifies my evolution as a human being. But at the same time, I'm like, eh, I don't know how I feel about this. I'm going to finish the book. I'm like more than halfway through it, but it's like, mm, I don't, I don't. And, and I read Kuntz recent, right? I've, I've just got his new book, Quicksilver, but I read the entire Jane Hawk series, which is, which is trumpeting feminism from the mountaintop. So obviously right. Dean Koontz has evolved over the last 40 years or whatever it is, but right. I just find it really interesting how I felt about it as I read it. Yeah. I, um, trying to think, I went through a phase where I was reading a whole bunch of Koontz and I think the, the one that, the one that drew me in was, uh, intensity. And I think we probably oh talked about Oh my God. This. I read it in four yeah. hours. I couldn't, I couldn't stop. I, I didn't read it in four hours, but I read it in like a day or two. I mean, it was yeah, it, 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 it draws you in, and you know he's really good at the suspense. I'll I'll, I'll give you that, and and I loved um, <clears throat> Mr. Murder. I thought was really good, and mm-hmm. uh, um, oh god, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that I read, but there were there were I, I, probably like eight or nine of his books, um, but uh, you know I never read like this. There's like s- certain series that you got know, like the Odd Thomas, and mm-hmm. I, I never really read any of those. Um, and then I remember there was one he did called um, Life Expectancy. Did you ever read that one? I've not read that one. Yeah. I, I, oh, my God. I hated it because it was just like, I don't know. It was it was an interesting concept, um, but it was just like there was like a there was sort of like a it, it's something about like people are, are stuck in these like really um, like um, the characters are stuck in these situations that are like perilous. And they, they managed to like make jokes and it's just like, you're going to die. I don't, I, this, it's like, I can't really take, I can't really, uh, you know, it, it, this doesn't seem very realistic and it just, it was like distracting. It was just like the main, the, the two main characters were just like sort of like goofing off all the time. And I'm like, I just, I don't know. I mean, it was just like, it really sort of like, um, uh, this is, you know, it, it, it I couldn't really take it seriously. And so it's just kind of like, um, I think when he's in like, hardcore suspense mode um he's really good at it you know and and i think when he kind of deviates a little bit and i don't know about like i said i don't know much about odd thomas or anything like that and i don't know if i'm sure you've read them and i I don't know i've I've read i've read the first few i haven't finished the series but no i i would agree with you as far as the suspense goes Mm -hmm. right i think you know he does a really good job of of drawing you in and, and yeah. giving you that, that sense of impending doom. But when you go back and read something like servants of twilight, I don't feel that right. Even though, right. even though there's, there's these, these intense action scenes. So it's really interesting to go back to the early eighties compared to how he writes today and see the evolution. Right. 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 And you know, Jane, Jane Hawk was, was a good example. I mean, you know, yeah, she she found her way out of these these situations maybe a little too conveniently, a little too easily. However, you still felt the impending doom, right? And you know, the, the master at this is Clive Barker, and mm-hmm. and just based on one story, dread, and, and this all comes from the Telltale Heart and Ed, Edgar Allan Poe, 
who was the master of creating that. Right. 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 And everybody wants to copy Edgar Allan Poe. So even Lovecraft did and a whole lot of other people did. Uh, or tried to emulate him or write in that style or create that mm-hmm. same same uh, that the same feeling of you know the knock on the door that you don't want right, right, uh, right. you know Salem's lot uh, speaking of King Stephen King's uh, Salem's lot uh, live action live action uh, uh, big screen uh, remake comes out uh, sometime this year so I'm looking forward to that I think it got a release date and now I'm gonna have to go fucking look it up. Interesting. Yeah, and then then Nick Cage is going to play Dracula in a, in a movie called Renfield. <laughs> uh, okay. You right, right, and and uh, so uh, I, I just I don't know how I feel about that. Um, so let's see, Salem's Lot. Uh, William Sadler is going to be in it, so that can't be all bad, right? Um, sure. Yes. Uh, somebody named Lewis Pullman is playing Ben Mears. Uh, Alfre Woodard's in it, um, which that's, you know, that's a good I, sign. yeah, hundred percent, right? You get you get uh, somebody with that kind of cachet, that kind of clout uh, to <laughs> sure. be to be in your vampire film, sure. Um, let's see, uh, Mackenzie Lee is playing Susan Norton. It seems like um, Ben Mears as Susan Norton might be age appropriate this time around, as opposed to David Soul um, in the original. I, right, right, um, and. and you know, he did all right for, you know, uh, John Benjamin Hickey's playing Father Callahan. That'll be interesting because he's always been portrayed as an older gentleman. Uh, and obviously, right. Father Callahan has a has a place in the Dark Tower universe. So, um, it's going to be interesting. Um, it seems like we're, we're getting some vampire stories sprinkled into all this other stuff that's going on. Um conversation i had and a show that's going to be on youtube uh on morbid planet hosted by aaron chapman i don't know if you've heard me talk about her or seen any of my posts um Mm -hmm. but uh hasn't posted yet we talked about american werewolf in london we did a whole whole show that's gonna be on youtube about it and we were talking about how um you know science gone wrong and science fiction has its seminal novel in frankenstein by mary shelley uh vampires have bram stoker's dracula werewolves don't have their their book it's it's kind of interesting right yeah you know the legends and and what we think of in popular popular culture about werewolves all spawns from universal and the early monster movies with lon cheney jr right right it's all adapted from that um so uh this kind of thing's on my mind because in a couple of weeks we'll celebrate the uh, the release of the original 1931 Dracula starring Bela Lugosi. Okay. Uh, which came out on Valentine's Day. <laughs> of course it did. That's, a, that's, that's nice. <laughs> and there's no love story in it at all. It's just, you know, object of, of demonic obsession. It's, it's right, great. Right, right, right. As, as you do. As you do. <laughs> Chris. So, Amer- so America, Werewolf in London is there? Is there a? Um, is there? A, there isn't another remake. Happening. No, no, they, no. Did, did you they know, remake they, it at some point? Well, they they did a, a, a ham-handed quasi sequel called American Werewolf in Paris with a lot of bad CGI. Um, right, 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 right. And that was terrible. And I'm, uh, yeah, I didn't see it, but um, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of the original. Oh my um, god. It was such a great, you know, and the thing is, is that what I loved, one of the things I really loved about the movie is that the tone, because 
it's it's a it's really you know it's a horror movie or whatever you want to call it, the supernatural horror movie. But it's also really fucking hilarious. You know, well, look I who mean, did it though, right? It's John Landis. Landis, yeah, yeah. Right. So we're talking about the guy behind, uh, you know, Animal House. You're talking right. about the guy Blues, behind Kentucky Fried Movie. Blues uh, Brothers. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And Blues not Brothers known, was only known, a year before. Not known for his subtlety. <laughs> no, no, and and got dragged through the mud because of the accident on Twilight Zone. The movie. Oh, Twilight Zone. Yeah. It's, right? Yeah. That's oh god, that whole situation. I mean, God. How fucked up was that? But um, I mean, the original the, the American Werewolf—that's that's just like that's got tremendous rewatch value, and it's one of those movies where it doesn't—it's—it's it's, it clearly when you watch it, you're like, yeah, this movie clearly came out in 1981 or whatever. But it's—it doesn't age like the quality doesn't age. You watch right. it, and it's still—it's still entertaining. Because you, know, you, like, you oh, have those—you have Rick Baker's practical effects, first of all. The effects were very much ahead of their time, but 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 still hold up, you know, forty years later or whatever. Right. Absolutely. And okay, let's talk about David Naughton for two seconds. Here's the guy who was the Dr. Pepper guy. I'm a pepper. He's a pepper. She's a pepper. Wouldn't you like to be right. a pepper too? He does that yeah. movie, and then afterwards, chooses every wrong project to be in, including Hot Dog the movie. Right. Right, he had a bad. I mean, he had a bad agent, probably. Right, and you know we got Jenny Augutter in that who who would, who does Logan's Run. I can't remember if that was before or after. And it was then, before. Right, and then she kind of I don't know what the hell she does for for thirty five years, and then ends up in the freaking Marvel universe in the Avengers movies. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she's funny. on that council, that Shadow Council or whatever. Okay, right, that talks to Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. Right? And Griffin so, Dunn is in it. And Griffin Dunn is in it, right? And Griffin yeah. Dunn is brilliant as dead Jack, right? He's yeah. freaking... <laughs> the scene where they're in the movie theater talking oh about how, they, how he's going to kill himself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's freaking brilliant, right? And then, you know, oh, I'm sorry, Jack. I didn't mean to call you hamburger. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's... No, there's those moments. But, you know, in, in one of the things that I talked to Aaron about, when you think about horror, right, especially when you talk about good horror... Good, good storytelling. Life is funny. Yeah. Right. I mean, how many times do we laugh at somebody who falls down? Right. I mean, right. we don't want an offer to help them up. We laugh at them, which I don't understand, but okay. Um, but when you think about it for a minute, life itself has these unexpected moments. It has, you know, I mean, we call it comic relief in, in the movies, but, um, you know, the whole, the, you're, you're, you're hundred percent on point you get the you get the businessman who's pissed off because he's dead mm-hmm. and then you get the the young uh yuppie couple who's like giving him suggestions on how he can kill himself to break the bloodline yeah. right and they're laughing right, about right, it right. yeah a gun would yeah. be good yeah, yeah you know <laughs> no you can hang yourself no that's not a guarantee um yeah I mean, that could get messy yeah or or <laughs> you know what about a gun? well you could miss you know i'm like <laughs> What are we talking about here? And they're, and, and, they're in, and, and aren't they watching? It's a triple X movie. Theater? Yeah, they're in a porno theater. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, you get this freaking porno film on the screen, and you're like, "Oh yep. my god!" Right? Um, and then, you know, me personally, I had to go to Piccadilly Circus when I went to England in 2014 and go at night just to see what it looked like because I remembered it from the movie. It's totally right. different now, like like Times Square, right? To get rid of all the right, uh, right, right. You know, the movie theaters and stuff. Um, but yeah. And you're like, okay, this is great. Um, 
But no, it, there's there's so many elements in that movie that are, are I mean, they're so good. Uh, so many great lines, right? I mean, he wakes up naked in the zoo and he steals the balloons from the little boy and he goes to his mother. Yep. A naked American <laughs> man stole my balloons. <laughs> and he's on the he's on the he's waiting for the bus or whatever. He's wearing that woman's coat. Yeah, and, and everybody's gonna look at him and he's he's barefoot. <laughs> I mean, you know, but but this is something I explored in my own books, right? With the vampire story, it's like you know, you wake up a vampire. What the hell do you do? Right, right. I mean, and my my poor vampire, her hair's a mess, and she's stealing clothes from anthropology for fuck's sake, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because you know she's trying to fit in. Uh, but same same kind of thing, right? I mean, you're like you wake up in a zoo in the, in the wolf enclosure. What are you supposed to do? You gotta find your way, in, and you're in a foreign country. You don't know what the hell's going on. There's so much experiential with that movie that's so good. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, there's some totally random, like the freaking, you know, Nazi helmet wearing demons that attack his family. But, hey, you know, <laughs> but, you All know, good fun. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's some seriously random. I mean, all his dream sequences and all that. I mean, there's a lot of random elements. But you know, there's some other good actors. That, um, uh, Brian Glover's in it, and he goes on to to be in uh, uh, Alien Three. And uh, okay. he's, he's the guy in the pub telling the joke about uh, jumping out of the airplane and throwing Mexicans out. And uh, you know, the, 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 there's just so many great elements, right? Because because English pubs are like that, right? You walk in and nobody knows you. They look at you like you're crazy. Um, yes. you know, and, uh, you know, the, a name like the slaughtered lamb and, you know, a lot of those, a lot of people don't realize how old England is. Right. I mean, right. You right. Know, USA is, is not as, not nearly as old, obviously as, as, you know, this, that's why they call it the old world. Um, right. you know, but it's, it's interesting stuff because, you know, I think good storytelling is timeless. Right. And sure. uh, and a story like that still plays today, and absolutely, and it, yeah. And obviously, David Naughton is questioning his project choices after that. He's still around, right? Technically, he's still alive, as far as yeah, I think so. I, I don't know what the hell he's. I, he's still trying to get Hot Dog Two made or something. I don't know. You probably you can probably get a cameo, one of those cameo videos for him. For it's probably one of those ones that's like under fifty dollars. <laughs> you know. <laughs> You ever get those ads for the cameo like oh on Facebook my, or whatever? Like, oh my god! I think yeah. William Hung is going for like thirty or something. So oh, Jesus Christ, we're back to back to American Idol. See, American Idol <laughs> went south when we were we stopped making fun of William Hung, right? When they right. The, when they got rid of Simon and we're like, it's all touchy feely now. We're not going to make fun of anybody anymore. And I I got to bring it up because it's disturbing. It was the first time I, I had ever seen this. I don't know if you, you've noticed, but there's some people in this world who confuse the word our and the word R, O-U-R and A-R-E. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I had ever noticed it. And, and somebody tried to you know move on to the next round. They didn't get picked. And Ryan, Ryan Milktoast Seacrest is uh, interviewing the family. And on the sign, it says the girl's name. R A R E next American Idol, and I and I was looking at this going, are you kidding me? I'd never seen it before. I didn't know there was confusion between those two words, and I see it all over social media now, and it drives me absolutely nuts. But you know me, I I, I can't stand 
bad spelling and grammar. Oh, um, that's understandable. <laughs> Chris, you do write for popmatters.com and we always kind of finish the show and wrap up with what you're working on now. So you have forgotten more about music than I'll ever know. So what are you writing about on pop matters these days? Uh, well, actually there is, um, I am writing, uh, a review of a, uh, really interesting, um, uh, Jesus, a uh, really interesting jazz album. And I honestly don't remember the name of the artist right now, which is, so, you know, it's going to be a good review because I can't even remember who I'm writing about. Um, no, his name is actually, his name is Tyler Mitchell. He's a jazz saxophone player and he has an album that actually came out last week that I'm going to write a review of. Um, I'm starting, things are starting to pick up. I'm writing some more in-depth stuff. I actually have a zoom interview tomorrow with an experimental musician out of Chicago named Leah Cole and I'm writing a feature story about her. She has an album coming out in March. And this ought to be uh, an interesting uh, thing that I've decided to take on, which is um, in March. Now, you're familiar with uh, Barry Levinson's movie Diner? came out in 1982. I, I know of it. I don't think I've ever you know, seen okay. it. But I, okay. but I know of it. Yeah. Um, it's it, well, it just happens to be my favorite movie of all time. And uh, it turns 40 in March. And uh, I'm going to write a retrospective essay about it. Um, oh, very nice. Uh, definitely, definitely worth checking out. It's on Amazon Prime if you want to check it out. But yeah. it's interesting in that it was Barry Levinson's directorial debut. And it sort of helped launch the careers of a bunch of actors who we now know. Uh, you know, it, uh, a young Kevin Bacon is in it. Alan mm. Barkin. Tim Daly, Mickey, one of Mickey Rourke's first movies, um, uh, Daniel Stern. It's it's got a really really great cast and takes place in 1959 in Baltimore. Tons of really good music. It's just a it's just a kind of a coming of age movie. And um, yeah, so I really love the movie and I pitched the idea of writing like a retrospective. You know, this movie is 40 years old and etc. So um, that's I'm looking forward to writing that. I'm looking forward to putting that together. As you know, I, I primarily write about music, but occasionally mm-hmm. I will dive into uh, music and or, uh, movies and books and stuff like that. Um, and speaking of books, and although this doesn't have anything to do with Pop Matters because I'm not writing about it, but um, uh, I know you're a Colson Whitehead fan because you read Nickel Boys, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, I read another book by him just recently called The Colossus of New York. And it's um, it's sort of like a book of essays about New York City, um, really well written, um, but not really what I expected, because I think Nickel Boys is probably more of a straight narrative story. Is, is, is that correct? Yeah, there's there's a big twist to it. But, yeah, I, w- I would mm-hmm. say that because I'm, I'm actually looking forward to reading that next. But I know that it's probably a lot different than the one that I just read. But uh, he's a great writer. I mean, yeah. He's just very there, – and I haven't read – There's a minimalist style to him. He says a lot yeah. in very few yeah. words. Um, yeah. Not as simplistic as Hemingway, but okay. but Whitehead's words tend to punch you in the face. Interesting. And, yeah, and he wrote the Underground Railroad too, which yeah. is supposed to be also really good. Um, yeah, and there's a series based on that now too. There's a so. series, and it was apparently it was directed by Barry Jenkins, who directed Moonlight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's on Netflix. One what of the hell is that? One of those streaming services. I have more than I need, and and you know because I cut the cord you, and went yeah. to went to Hulu uh, with live TV, and we got all kinds of crap. Um, 
But uh, oh, who who's doing the? There's this the series that's gonna. Be, I think I think the series on uh, Let the Right One In is gonna be on Paramount Plus. So I have that. Oh yeah. And I got that for Evil, which they stopped making. Peter Scolari was in that. Who was in Bosom Buddies with uh, Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari popped off. Um, you know, and and you know, we 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 did our huge hail and farewell at the end of the year, and then after that, we lost you know we lost Betty White, and then more recently, and I don't want to dwell on it, but the thing about it that blew my mind was the reaction. Bob Saget, right? Yeah, we, yeah. Bob Saget died. You know what, sixty eight or sixty five or whatever, but the reaction, I had no earthly idea this guy was that well respected. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he was he's and I didn't really know this at the time, but he one of those people where everybody who knew him said he was one of the nicest guys in the world. And yeah, he would, he would he would he would he would, you know, give it give you the shirt off his back and all that. And same thing with and I kind of already knew this already, but the same thing with Louis Anderson. A lot mm. of people say that he was he was the sweetest guy. And, you know, stand up comedy is it can be a ruthless world. And if, and if you can find a mentor who's really good at it, and he was he was that way for a lot of young comedians. So that speaks, you know, obviously really well about him. And he was the um, best thing about baskets because, you know, and the thing is, is that I never saw that, but I had a lot of people telling me how good of a show it was. And now, of course, it's one of the most popular shows on Netflix because Louis Anderson died. And everyone's like, oh, I got to check out that show because everyone's talking about it. But Zach yeah, Galifianakis was terrible in it. Really? And, yes. And Louis Anderson makes that show. He played his mom, right? Yes. And, 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 <laughs> you know, is awesome. as, as what a great stand up comedian Louis Anderson was and a, and a good host of Family Feud. And then he, he's going to be remembered as, as a drag player. And, <laughs> but, but he's great at it. He, That's what I heard, yeah. Oh my God. He's the best part of the whole show because Galifianakis yeah. freaking goes sideways. And, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, the whole thing about him wanting to be a clown and, and his idiot, he plays a dual role, right? He plays his brother. Yeah. Um, yep. and it's, you know, he's got this freaking Looney Tune French ex-wife, uh, you know, the, the best part of, of Galifianakis is, is when his, his soon to be ex-wife tells him you are not a clown. Uh, cause he goes over to, to France <laughs> right. to go to, you know, a true clown school. Um, but it had a lot of, you know, it had a lot of potential. You had the, the poor woman he's dragging along for two seasons who, you know, who's into him and, uh, yeah, it's just Louis Anderson's best part of the whole show. Yeah, that's what I heard. I heard he yeah. was really good at it. Oh my um, god! Yeah, and and they, they could have made the whole thing about him, his character, um, <laughs> if, whatever. But you know, I mean, we've got like all these streaming services. I don't miss not having cable TV. The picture quality is actually better uh, mm-hmm. over, sure. over you know uh, Wi-Fi. Uh, so I'm happy with that. And, uh, but yeah, um, just added HBO max again, been watching peacemaker. You want to watch some irreverent superhero television, go to HBO max and watch peacemaker with John Cena, not for your little boy. Um, very inappropriate. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, on Disney, been watching book of Boba Fett, not a fan, but I'm watching it cause I will watch anything and everything. Star Wars, um, yeah, I've heard that's that got mixed. That's gotten mixed reviews, I think. Yeah, and then 
Um, I'm waiting for the the Obi Wan Kenobi story. It's like you know after after everything goes goes haywire after the the first you know the prequels and he goes to Tatooine to look after infant Luke. Uh, that's supposed to be you know what fills in from there all the way to the '77 film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that because they got Ewan McGregor to play Obi Wan, which he yeah. played him in the the prequels, right? So, sure. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So we got that going on and uh, trying to trying to read more this year than I did last year. I, the last year yeah, fell so off. Uh, yeah, you read. Yeah, and you, you were doing the year before you. Oh my god, ass, right? I was like 34, 35 books, and yeah, then good. last year was like nine. You were like fifteen last year, though. Yeah, I'm off. To, I'm off to kind of a slow start, though. Um, I've only read once that Close and Whitehead is the only one I've read so far this year. But I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to. I'm, I'm going to pick it up. Yeah, pick it yeah. Up. I, I read something called Cunning Folk by Adam Neville. Uh, that was, you know, like this horror story in uh, like uh, village England. Um, really was interesting. Was it you? Was it? Did we talk about that before? Or did somebody else tell me about that? We, that we talked about really it last familiar. last visit. We did. Because I okay, yeah, okay. I just finished it and really good book. And now I'm on to Servants of Twilight and. I'm going to end up reading some Kerouac between now and next month because just because it's, you know, the anniversary of his, his birthday and, uh, um, sure. right. So, um, there's a shit ton of stuff on, if you like Kerouac, there's a shit ton of used on YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I, and I always go back to this from, I think it's 59. He goes on the Steve Allen show and Allen and Kerouac had done this this jazz record right where where Kerouac reads his poetry under uh over uh Steve Allen playing piano mm-hmm. and he goes on to Steve Allen's show and he reads it's not even from on the road it's like the forward to on the road okay um and he reads that rather than reading poetry while Steve Allen plays live jazz piano huh. and and it's it's spectacular the yeah. only person who can read Kerouac is Jack Kerouac. Right. There's something about the way he reads his own stuff. And it's it's just, it's brilliant. And, and I've watched it, I don't know how many times, and or just listened to it. And um, he references that appearance in, um, uh, in Big Sur. And he he tells in Big Sur he talks about how it wasn't a pleasant experience, which I find oh, really? really yeah, and I find it really interesting that he's basically motherfucking Steve Allen in the show. Um, but when you watch the clip, it's absolutely brilliant. He tells a story of the, the 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 teletype paper that he wrote on the road on where he gets it from, this whole thing, and and he he actually gives a, a better definition of of what the beat generation is that I've ever heard in my life. And it's, it's one word sympathetic. Hmm. And it's just, you know, cause I've seen later stuff with him, you know, a year or two before he dies and, you know, he's this fat drunk and can't put two sentences together. can't complete a thought, but on the Steve Allen show, like, like, you know, five, six years earlier, it's, it's just, he's, he's at his best. So, but anyway, hmm. Anything else you want to you want to add before we wrap up this marathon episode of the Get the Knack podcast? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, hopefully by the time we talk again, I'll have had a couple more books under my belt that I can talk about. And um, same, same. Uh, um, yeah, no, I mean it's uh, you know life's moving along, and um, looking forward to 
I think I mentioned to you that we're going back into our office at work mm-hmm. next week. So hopefully we're slowly returning to some kind of normalcy. I don't know. But uh, yeah, no, just uh, same old, same old. Yeah, we'll talk about that uh, next time. Uh, next week, I've got Michael Wansley, otherwise known as T-Wans, who uh, uh, won a Grammy uh, with Macklemore for uh, Thrift Shop. So you didn't respond to my text when I told you I had Wands coming on next week. and uh, Well, I was probably, uh, you know, caught up in something else. Because you know <laughs> that I respond immediately every single time. Every time. You, with, you wait for my text with bated breath. If, if, if you don't hear back from me, there's a crisis. So just, <laughs> or, or a or Lego something. project that has to there's happen. There's a Lego project. Or I, yeah, exactly. There's probably right. a really intense right. Lego project going on in the house. And I cannot get on my phone right well the funny thing about michael is uh he was going to write a book and he was going to do it under uh my publishing house uh Mm -hmm. and uh unfortunately it didn't happen but i got to know him at the time and we've been facebook friends ever since and one of the things that he does is he performs the national anthem at a lot of sporting events okay and uh so anyway um I pinged him the other week and I said, Hey, you want to come on the show? He's like, absolutely. Let's do it. So we set it up and next Friday night, we'll have Michael Wansley, otherwise known as T Wands, Grammy award winning collaborator with Macklemore. Fantastic. Yep. So that'd be good. I've had, I've had a, a, you know, the, the, creator of uh, laugh moms, laugh tracks. We'll have Michael Wansley. I've had Chris Ingalls. Yeah. Well, right. The, yeah. Um, condolences. What's funny is there's a newscaster, investigative journalist here in the Seattle area. Uh, his name is Chris Ingalls. And I'm like, there's only one Chris Ingalls. He lives in Boston. So Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I do know that name because I recognize it from when I have to, like, search for something. Like, when, when I'm searching for something, like, I'm searching for, like, an old post on Facebook or something like that for whatever reason. I'll type my name and, and the subject, whatever. And this guy in Seattle keeps coming up. I'm like, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. And I don't so, watch the channel he's on, so because he doesn't exist. But we can find you on Twitter at Ingles1969 and yep. at www.popmatters.com. That's going to do it for this edition of the Get the Neck podcast, the first one of February. Be sure to log on next Friday night when we have T. Wands, Michael Wansley of Thrift Shop and Macklemore fame. For my good friend and old Navy buddy, Chris Ingalls, I have been Jerry Knack. We'll talk to you next week.